0: Run the Film is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. The Raiders only have two games left in Oakland, so make sure you go see them before they're off to Vegas. They're still in the playoff hunt and have a big game against the Titans this week. Make sure to check that out. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate download the gametime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last minute deals on tickets up to 60% off Man you gotta get a you gotta get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible I will kill us. You like that You like that.
1: I'm just about that action, boss. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win.
0: You are listening to Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Nguyen, only on the Athletic Podcast Network.
1: Welcome, 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 as always, to the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Nguyen. Oh, man, so much to get caught up on. We are finally in week 14. It feels like every week it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. The games are getting bigger and bigger. But you go back to week 13, the Thanksgiving week, so much to really get caught up on from there before we head into the final four games of the NFL season. But before we start and talk about all of that, Ted, uh, I really was just like I was pondering over the last couple of days, because as we get to this last little final stretch of the NFL season, I just was thinking, do we really have a for sure or a favorite for the NFL Coach of the Year, or is there more people than we possibly think? I, 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 I Before I hand it to you, I think we kind of know who the MVP is after the last couple weeks. I don't even see him losing it no matter what. But when it comes to Coach of the Year, I think this may be one of the most difficult awards that we've. the NFL has probably given out in, the, what, I would say probably about a decade.
0: So yeah, I mean, I was looking over the candidates for Coach of the Year after you brought up that you want to talk about on the show, and there are a lot of guys that could win the award, and I, I, I wouldn't bat an eye. I, I think there's a lot of guys that are deserving this year. Uh, I, I think there's three or four guys that are in the lead, but there are a bunch of other sleeper candidates that um, could also win the award. Uh, who, who are your top four? Top four right now, I think. To me, at the
1: uh, at the top. I just really look at over the last couple of weeks at what Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers have been doing. Um, I mean, we think about before the season, you go in obviously no Le'Veon Bell, no Antonio Brown, uh, the tight end is gone, uh, Vance McDonald. I mean, it was just a ton, just just defensively. Just I mean, it's just as a team that that's what they didn't have. But you said, okay, I have Ben Roethlisberger. And then early in the season, we see what happened. Ben Roethlisberger gets hurt. He's out for the year with an elbow surgery. I'm like, oh, this team is done. There is no way. And then they go throughout the season, have some you know, ups and downs. Juju Smith Schuster's missed what the last two, three games, and yet they are sitting right now as a playoff team, Ted, at seven and five. To me, that's coaching. You know, Marquise Pouncey did not play last week. They beat the Cleveland Browns. That's that's coaching, right? I And so, it it may not be probably a lot of people's favorites, but I like Mike Tomlin right now. He's at the top, but then right behind him, I think you have to put Kyle Shanahan in what the 49ers have been doing. I mean, this team last year, the 49ers, uh, just weren't good, right? But obviously, a lot of it had to do with Jimmy Garoppolo not being there. But still, though, the way that they've revamped this roster a little bit more uh, and the way that he's coaching, I got him there at two. But then I could put in number three, is John Harbaugh with the Baltimore Ravens? I mean, look at what the Ravens have been doing, um, especially how they're doing it though, Ted. With the style of play, the quarterback and Lamar Jackson, and just how they're doing things defensively. It's he's running a tight ship, man. They're playing well, and then I think the the fourth guy, and um, to me, it, it's I kind of not necessarily biased to this, but. I, I, he's just doing it under the radar, I feel like. And I thought on Thanksgiving Day, he should deserve more credit. No one's talking enough about what Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills are doing because we were so caught up in Jerry Jones, Jason Garrett, and all of that. Instead of just applauding what Sean McDermott has built in Buffalo over the last couple of seasons, it wasn't so far removed. He's not too far removed from the whole, um, oh, my God, his name is slipping me, uh, the, the quarterback that John Gruden picked up for no reason. The guy who threw four interceptions. What's his name? It's, it's, Nate Peterman. Nate Th- Peterman. That's what I call him. <laughs> Nathan Peterman. There we go. <laughs> yeah, his name was just slipped my mind. But, yeah, Nathan Peterman. Peterman. Yeah, I mean, the guy throws five interceptions. Come on, man. Seriously? But think about where Buffalo was when that happened. And then look at him now. They, they draft Josh Allen you know, last year. And in this year, he looks to be a, a quarterback who's progressing, and I think that's just the faith in his coach that just understands who they are as a football team. So right now, I would think that those are my four right now. Ted, um, is there a list, or how many guys do you see right now when you look at coach of the year?
0: Well, I had a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and I didn't even have Mike Tomlin, but I did just because I didn't think of him. But you're, mm. you're right. He he should have a case for Coach of the Year too because of all the injuries they dealt with, and you know he's been criticized before because he, you know he was supposed to be a defensive head coach, and the Steelers' defense hasn't been that good in the last few years. But they they're one of the better defenses this year, and credit goes to him. Uh, but but my top four is Harbaugh. I agree, uh, John Harbaugh. I I think he should not be the lead just because of how different. Uh, or how committed they are to Lamar Jackson and how that experiment has really uh, flourished and you know how he's using analytics and he's going for on a fourth down. He's doing all these uh, really good things. So I, I think Harbaugh should definitely be uh, in consideration. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan with the Niners, they, they've dealt with a lot of injuries this year and they, they still keep on trucking and they keep on rolling. And even though they lost to the Ravens, I thought they played a really good game in, in yeah. Baltimore. Totally um, agree with that. And, and I know Belichick has won the award before and, you know, and it's it, his name will always come up in this discussion. But this year, you know, he, he he's really made that New England defense flourish and they, they really needed it because the, the offense is such a um, such a funk. So I think this is a year where Belichick should get a little more consideration mm-hmm. and. Um, Matt Lafleur from for the Packers. I mean, we, we've seen how bad the Packers have been the last few years, and all of a sudden, they're one of the elite teams. Uh, so that's my top four, and then I have a bunch of other guys. Yeah, give I'm me some to, honorable mentions. I think I, know,
1: I think I think I know you have one or two
0: of the guys who I'm thinking. So, um, so here's here, here's some ahead. underrated guys like Bill O'Brien with the the Texans. Absolutely, he, he's done a good job. Uh, Flores from the the Dolphins. All of a sudden, they're playing. Pretty good ball, you know. And people were criticizing him early on. I criticized him early on, but all of a sudden, the, the Dolphins are playing good ball. They're playing hard. uh And, they got, Schirmer, and they've
1: got draft picks too next year.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and Shermer, he had to deal with Andrew Luck. Um, you know, all of a sudden retiring. uh No, Frank Wright. Sorry, Frank, Wright, Frank, Wright Frank Wright. Yeah, yeah, Frank yeah. Frank I know what about. Yeah, had I know to what deal with. The, yeah, had to deal with Andrew Luck retiring before the season, and they're in the in the playoff hunt, but. You know they they lost a bunch of close games. If they won some of them, I think I think he definitely would have been a little higher up on the list. But uh, they've kind of tailed off recently. And Sean McDermott, like you mentioned, you Mm -hmm. know he the Bills are a legit team. People keep hating on them, but they're they're a legit team. They are they have a really strong defense. Josh Allen is playing good ball. Uh, So yeah, Sean McDermott deserves consideration. Pete Carroll, the Seahawks are Uh, playing. Good ball. So, I mean, all these guys could. I got another one for you, though. Yeah. I got another one for you. How about this? You go out in
1: week two, and all of a sudden your Hall of Fame quarterback breaks his thumb, and you're out. And so, enter Teddy Bridgewater. And they end up losing that game at the Rams, but yet they go on the road the next week at Seattle. And they go out and beat Seattle. Only one of only two of Seattle's losses this season were to the New Orleans Saints and Sean Payton. I think that what they were able to do without Drew Brees is it's almost to a point where we've kind of glossed over that. Remember, Teddy Bridgewater was the man. He was under, I think he did not lose as a starter this year before they got Drew Brees back in there. And then boom, look at where they're at right now. So I'm kind of like, wow, there's really man, this is no not even a joke. The coaching this year in the NFL has, to me, has been great, and I don't even think it's been highlighted enough because you've had coaches that had to do a lot more. I mean, I know I don't Andy Reid even could be in there having to deal with not having the re, the reigning MVP of the National Football League didn't play what about a two or three game stretch, and yet his team right now is still sitting in first place in their division and playing their best football at the right time. So this may be one of the tightest races. I think for NFL coach of the year, because there's a lot of guys who they may not win it, but definitely deserve the recognition on the job
0: the jobs that they've done. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean, if any of those guys we mentioned wins, I wouldn't have a big problem with it. Um, So yeah, it's a really tight race and I really don't know who is in the lead because it's just so subjective. It just depends on um, what the voter, you know, what each individual voter thinks. So there's definitely no clear-cut winner or no – I wouldn't even say that it's a clear-cut uh, top four because you, you can make a, a legit argument for a lot of coaches. Man, that is very true, man. That's funny because you can make
1: an argument for um, all of those coaches, but at the same time, it's like it's it's almost to a point where me and you, Ted, we go to a restaurant, right, and we, we, we love the restaurant, but yet – we order different things, right? It's not right. Like we're going there just for this. Like you want to order the pasta, and then maybe I may order, um, you know, maybe the seafood. And it's like, all right, but we 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 kind of agree on where to go, but yet we have different tastes, right? And so I think I say that because, you know, some voters may go with okay, team that has the best record gets the you know you 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 get the head coach of the year. But we could see a team that may not have the best record, may have three or four losses, maybe five losses, that could win Coach of the Year too. So it's kind of, it's kind of like basically what, what what's your criteria? Because I think everybody's criteria may be different when it comes to voting like
0: this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, if you look at some of the teams that are losing that have been playing better, you can make a case for that. If uh, you know, some people might not even want to vote for Belichick because he's won an award already. Uh, So, yeah, it just depends on the eye to beholder. Oh, man, Ted. Uh,
1: Week 13 in the National Football League, we saw some ugly losses, right? Now, we're going to recap a couple games that we really watched intently. We really focused in on – that would be Ravens and 49ers, and then the Patriots-Texans were games that we really watched with a a keen eye. But there were some ugly losses that we watched from afar that you kind of scratch your head – that you would understand in Weeks 6 or, you know, 3, maybe 8, but we're all the way in Week 13, and the Eagles going to Miami, dropping 37-31, probably one of the bigger upsets of the weekend. The Jets going to Cincinnati. They lose. Cincinnati gets their first victory of the season, 22-6. to Panthers. Did, you, did at, you predict that? Did you predict that upset? I did predict that one, oh, <laughs> but, uh, but the Panthers, they go, they're, they're at home, Ted, think about they're at home against the Washington Redskins, they lose 29-21, the Oakland Raiders, they go to Kansas City, and wow, uh, two weeks in a row for the Raiders, 40-9, to and then, um, you know, I guess the, not necessarily a, an ugly loss, but it was sort of an upset. I think people thought the Patriots would just I mean, I know the Sunday night crew, everybody picked the Patriots and yet the Texans won. But as we just kind of just like a brief overview of the ugly week 13 losses, which one stuck out to you the most? Uh,
0: the Jets and Bengals, I believe. I mean, I thought the Jets were starting to play some good ball. Sam Darnold was on a roll. Uh, the Bengals just didn't look like they had much going for them, but I guess Andy Dalton getting back into the lineup was uh, enough of a shot arm for them to um, to win that game.
1: Yeah, I, yeah I, to, I, I'll stick with that one just for a second just because the reason why I picked that one was because if the Bengals were going to win any game this year, it had to be that one. Like, it literally, like, this is a home game against a team and the Jets. Yes, they played well, but they're still not where they should be at. They're still not there yet. They needed a game like this, right? They they were, needed, they were destined for a, a, a game that they didn't play at their best, right? The offensive line is still not the greatest. And so the Cincinnati Bengals, just a pride about themselves. And Andy Dalton was that shot in the arm. He played pretty, pretty, pretty good. 22 of 37, 243 yards, Ted. But, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's a sense of pride, man. It really is, dude. Like, I've been there before. I've been in these dudes, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals shoes before. And you're just trying to get one. You're just trying to get a victory, right? And I wouldn't be surprised if they win a couple more games, Ted. But you just got to get one. Like, the pressure is mounting. Like, you, you, you're you feeling like your, your sacrifice and everything that you're doing. Like it's, you're not getting that reward. And that's the, one of the, the worst feelings in the world, Ted is all your hard work and you sacrifice, you do everything possible and you go out there Sunday, you get one opportunity. And when you've done it now, what is it uh, for them? 11 times and lost 11. Are right, you get to the 12th time? It's like, look, all right, we got to do something. Cause I'm not about to just keep going out here better in my head up against for no reason. And so to see them go out there and win, I think that one, uh, definitely one of the bigger ones. Um, I think the one that stuck out to me, um, the most Ted was, and it was unfortunate, but it was the Oakland Raiders loss at the, uh, Kansas city chiefs, you know, them having an opportunity to really put themselves, not only in just a playoff picture, but the AFC West kind of make the chiefs a little bit nervous. You know what I mean? They not want to, you know, a uh, Uh, They had a nice little winning streak right before the Jets game. And then all of a sudden they go to New York, New York Jets beat the brakes off of them. And you say, okay, maybe that was a one-off, right? Maybe it was the early start. Uh, you, You had come up with all the excuses, but then you go on the road to a division rival, and you get beat like that? <laughs> like it's, you can't you can't get beat like that, man. Like that's just not that's not acceptable, Ted. It really is not. So I that's the one to me of all the games, like that's the one to me that really stuck out. Maybe because I'm like I said, i maybe a little more biased than anything because I'm a former raider, but that one hurt, man. You you can't let Kansas City do that to you. And I think I added it up, right? Is it the two games this year, I believe? What is it? Um, they, what they score in week number? What they play in week two, I think. The the, the Chiefs and the Raiders they scored twenty eight points, right? And then t- to ten, so I was doing my uh my quick math here, Ted. By the way, and that's basically sixty eight points to nineteen.
0: Yeah, this that's season, not good. like
1: you, you've that's sixty eight points to your nineteen, and. You talk about being a playoff team, and now I think with we, a loss the way that they did the last couple of weeks, it just brings up so much more about are do they have the right quarterback and all kind of stuff. So of those crazy losses this week, that's the one that really stuck out to me the most.
0: Yeah, and do you think um, – and, and you've played a lot of cold-weather games, especially when you, you play for, for Buffalo. Do, do, you, do you think it, it's a real thing where Derek Carr – struggles against a cold is it a real phenomenon where a guy might not be able to think straight or really gets distracted by our cold weather do you know players like that or have you experienced anything like that well
1: i will go i'm gonna go two ways here ted so the first way i'm gonna tell you is that just being a player in in cold weather it is it is not fun um, it is really not because the cold is just, it's, it, it really makes your body like you feel every single hit. Like if you hit a guy, like, you know, when it's warm, sometimes it just, you bounce right up and you know, your body's just lathered up, you warmed up, right? You know, when people go work out at the gym, right, they just don't jump right in and start working out. They try to do a little warm up. you know, you do a little warm up, you get the body lather and you're ready to go. And you kind of keep that lather throughout the game in a cold, cold weather. There is no lather you're just cold. So it's like you're going out there to go work out, but there is no warm up each time you come off the sideline. And so it's difficult at times to tackle. It's difficult at times to really do keep your focus. So that's the first part. I think the second part to this is that, um, and this is something that, you know, here in in Los Angeles that we talk about a lot with Jared Goff, the quarterback of the Rams. Um, Now I don't have it right here in front of me, and maybe I can go find it in terms of, Derek Carr's hand size, but for Jared Goff, that was one of the criticisms coming out of Cal for him as a quarterback around the NFL was would he be able to play in a cold weather city because he's got small hands? Would he be able to grip the football when the weather dipped below 40 degrees? You know, would he have to wear a glove? You know, things like that. Would he be effective? And so I think that could be something with Derek Carr is that the way that he either grips the football or how big his hands are. Or when it's that cold, does the ball feel different to him? Because it's one thing when it's a one-off, right? I say there's some things like one-off. You've seen teams like, oh, man, they got him. I see it in the NBA all the time. But when you come back and play the way you did multiple games in in the cold, yeah, it, you're not a cold-weather quarterback. And now it's, it's starting to become a thing for him and I think it may have a lot to do with probably the way that he grips the football
0: yeah and just looking at their measurements now Goff has 9 inch hands which is in the 8th 8th percentile which is very low and Derek Carr has 9 and one eighth hands which is in the 16th percentile which is really small so I mean it, it it's a legit thing I mean it his at first I kind of excused it like you said I kind of like oh, you know the sample size is not that big. Maybe it's just a, a bit of a fluke. But now it's like he, you know, he keeps doing it. His this is a legit thing. So something to watch out for. And uh, you know, he'll probably play better in those those uh, warmer games. But you know, if you're why, trying you to play what? in the playoffs, you gotta you gotta play in the cold. Yeah, you know what? Two things. Why
1: tell you say since you're my uh, my my researcher for the day, Russell Wilson hand size and also. Josh Allen hand size, because we've talked about Buffalo, right? Place where I used to play at. And Josh Allen was a guy that when he got drafted to Buffalo, I think some people were saying, oh, he fits what Buffalo does. Cause I had a chance to watch Josh Allen when he was at the University of Wyoming and played in cold weather and didn't play with a glove on. So you would think that he has hands that when the weather gets cold, he still can grip the football and let it and let it rip. And I think the same thing with Russell Wilson, a guy that even though he's small in terms of height, but he has big hands and to play in Seattle and be able to throw the football for people who watch Monday Night Football You know, that's one of the reasons why you have to be a special quarterback to play in those elements, especially when that calendar turns to December.
0: Yes. So just looking at now, Russell Wilson has 10 and a quarter (laughs) inch hands, which is 90 percentile. This is ridiculous. I mean, he's not that tall, but his hands are his hands are huge. (laughs) Yes. And uh, same thing. Oh yeah, Josh Allen, ten and one eighth inch hands, eighty six percentile. So, yeah, I mean, you know, people people there laugh it at it, laugh <laughs> at it, but it, it hand size does matter. Yes. See, I'm trying to tell people, man, that, and
1: that's just for me. Just, I was just thinking about it because when these quarterbacks come out in the draft, Ted, I, I I always there are certain things that I look at, right? And because there's only certain places that they can really play. Let's be honest. Right. I think for like a Patrick Mahomes, his hand size, yes, he can play in Kansas City, you know, a big hand size can throw the football. But, you know, if you've got like a guy like Drew Brees, not necessarily big hand size, but remember it throughout his career. He played in a warm climate in San Diego when he was a charger and then he's playing inside the dome. You know, in in, uh, in New Orleans, so he's in a an in a, in a easy environment. Same thing with Peyton Manning. That's why people talked about him when he went on went to Denver, having to put on the glove. So I know we just went on a nice little rant, but that's but I think that is a a real situation because I think it's going to show up a little bit more, Ted, in these next four weeks of December because everywhere you're playing at now is going to be cold. Any outdoor game out outside of really California weather is going to be uh something that you have to look at you know case in point in last week's 49er and baltimore game that was a bad game this weather was bad but um you know the quarterbacks you know made sure that they maintain the football but it's always going to be something especially now when you get to december
0: yeah and, and that's a good transition because one of the games that we're going to recap are is a niners and ravens game We're 10-2, and we ain't done nothing yet, right?
1: That was a team victory. Offense, defense, and special teams. I didn't know who to give the game ball to. Us. But I got it.
0: It was a really good game. I I love when these big games live live up to the hype, and uh, I thought the Niners and Ravens game definitely lived up uh, to the hype. It was a great chess match between um, Greg Roman and Robert Sala. And and you know it. This I, I think the Niners defense played well well towards the third in the third quarter, but they really didn't have an answer for Lamar Jackson. I, I thought the low score was more to do with the weather, and they, they weren't able to punish the Niners for um, for coming up on against a run. But uh, I thought throughout the game, Greg Roman just had a bit of an advantage over Robert Sala, and the, the Ravens offense was just able to do. Uh, enough to um to you know get this win against a pretty good Niners team. Oh man, you know what Ted, I was
1: uh I I was thinking as I was watching this game cuz this was the game of the week. I mean, I think maybe the game of the season right now in terms of just two teams who we think could be on a collision course for Miami Super Bowl 54. And as I'm watching that game, um And having watched last Monday night live, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Ted, you watch a lot of film, brother. And I'm just trying to figure out what is a defensive coordinator like Robert Sala and guys around the league? What are you supposed to do with Lamar Jackson? Or if, if you're going against the Baltimore Ravens, if there's one thing that you could take away, what would that be? Because I'm trying to figure out like, all right, well, I want to make them do this. But if I make them do this, then you got to worry about this. And if you worry about this, you got to worry about that. Because I say that because how many times did I see, whether it's Eric Armstead, whether it's DeForest Buckner, literally tackle Mark Ingram to the ground, yet he had no football in his hand? Right. Crashing down from that, you know, defensive end position or kind of being let go. And then Lamar Jackson takes off around the corner. Right. With blockers in front of him. And then next time they're kind of staying there and they're, they're kind of uh, what we call just feathering the quarterback is what we call it. And the minute they do that, they hand it off to Mark Ingram or Gus Edwards. And they're getting eight, nine yards a clip. And I was telling my buddy this the other day. <laughs> this is the funny part it's like yeah but you know they should just they should just you know they should just go after lamar don't even worry about mark ingram i said dude as a player mark ingram is the worst because when lamar jackson gets an eight yard gain, nine yard gain, he heads back to the huddle when mark ingram gets an eight nine yard gain. He is up boasting. He is up, yeah, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, he's doing everything. Like, he up there dancing and moving. And that to me, that, like, that irks you even more as a player. And so now you're, like, you're more worried about trying to knock that dude out. And so now you're all out of whack. So I'm just trying. I'm I'm at a – I really am. As a, as a former defensive player in the league, man, I'm just really trying to figure out. And the closest thing I can think of, Ted, to, to going back to this, was 2012 uh, when I was with the Buffalo Bills and we played against the 49ers. And this is when Colin Kaepernick wasn't the starter yet. It was still Alex Smith. And they only had a set of plays for Colin Kaepernick not a full gamut of not, he wasn't the starter yet. He was just some select plays that John Harbaugh and Greg Roman and those guys had for him. And it was like, we had to practice them, but we didn't, you know, didn't see it, uh, you know, for throughout the whole game. And now to see a whole offense just be run that way, it is just difficult, man.
0: Yeah. Well, the big challenge with stopping the Ravens is, uh, Greg Roman, he, he's been running the option since 2012, so he's an option Correct. expert. And then for defensive coordinators that have to play the Niners, they have one week to become option experts because they don't see that option every week. So they have one week to catch up to Greg Roman, and it's impossible to do. And then on top of that, even when you're in position to make plays, you have to tackle Lamar Jackson, which is a, a, a huge challenge in itself. I mean, uh, a lot of times they were trying to do scrape exchanges where they had a defensive end knife in and take away the running back Correct. and have the linebacker loop out to try to loop take over Lamar Jackson, but they they couldn't do it. Lamar Jackson was just too fast. So yeah. Cause you go too,
1: you go too wide. I we I remember you used to do that. So like you mentioned, he crashes down, and the linebacker has to overplay it. But when you got it's one on one linebacker and Lamar Jackson, you, you take your guess who you think is going to win that matchup. It's Lamar Jackson half the time, and so yeah, it's just it's just difficult, man.
0: Yeah, and and then when you do that, then they're starting to do all their motions, and they're adding insert blockers for Lamar Jackson. So then, you know, you have a scrape exchange, and all of a sudden, you have a, a tight end come and arc around to take the linebacker, and then you have to have somebody else scrape exchange from the backside, and they're just too slow. So it's like they just have way too many answers for all for all these, you know, typical answers to take away uh, the the option, and it, it's just so hard to do. And you know, I just don't know who can stop this Ravens attack and how you stop it because they're so good at blocking inside. That you can't just say, "Oh, we're gonna let Mark Ingram, uh, Mark Ingram beat us because he's gonna go north and south and he's gonna he's gonna get four or five yards a pop and they're gonna be happy doing that." And if you try to take that away, then you have to deal with Lamar Jackson on the perimeter. And if you're gonna put your free safeties up in a box, and then you have to deal with Mark Andrews going deep or uh, Hollywood Brown going deep. Uh, so right now, I just don't know who can stop the Ravens, because they they just saw the two top defenses in the league. They just beat down the Patriots and they just beat down the Niners. So I I really don't know who's going to stop this Ravens attack.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I saw them up close beat down the Rams too with with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and those cats. I mean, it's really legit. But I think the other question I would say in watching this game and I think this kind of got overshadowed a little bit because of Lamar's play and, 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 and the Ravens winning. But I thought f- for the conditions, for that environment, for that big of a game, I thought Jimmy Garoppolo played pretty okay like it wasn't it wasn't lost on him it wasn't you know won by him obviously but i thought that he played well enough to win he made some throws he made some things happen a little bit but also too the ravens got like you mentioned a stout defense and if you tell me you know going into the game that you know at halftime it was going to be 14 uh what was this it was 17-14 and in the second half you know the 49ers they did end up scoring uh, i think just a field goal at the end but to be that close of a game and the way that jimmy just kept his poise, i thought he deserved kudos for the way that he played but like i said he just got overshadowed because we were so busy looking at number eight for the baltimore ravens
0: yeah no i i agree it, it's that was a really wet there's like some rainy games where you can't throw the football and the quarterbacks will have some control of the ball but this was a type of game where it was so rainy that it, it was very, very difficult to handle the ball. You, you can't really lead your receivers too much because you don't want them catching away from their bodies. Uh, there's no yak yardage because, you know, your you're body catching all the, these footballs. Uh, so for those conditions and um, Garoppolo being on the road against a difficult defense, I, I agree. He, he deserves kudos for the way he played. Uh, last thing for this game before we move on to our uh,
1: next contest, um, uh, which was the like you mentioned the Patriots and the Texans, um, I, I do want to say that defensively for both of these teams, the guy who really stood out to me on both sides of the ball, one of them is Martin Humphrey, he led the uh, the Ravens in tackles. He's been kind of a hybrid corner safety. He does a lot, and he showed up in the run game as well. He was the defensive stalwart for the Baltimore Ravens, but I looked on the other side, and look, Quan Alexander is not with the 49ers. He's Tora pectoral. He's out for the year, but if Fred Warner doesn't make the Pro Bowl this year, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at the NFC linebackers. Obviously, you're going to have a Luke Keekley and you're going to have, you know, obviously uh, Bobby Wagner. I think KJ Wright's played at a high level. But I think Fred Warner should be one of those, either not one of the last guys in, or maybe one of those first alternate kind of guys. He's played well, Ted. Just watching fifty-four up and down, and he did his best to 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 contain Lamar. But it was what he did in coverage as well, because watching what Greg Roman does with the the, the running attack, the hard part is that the passing attack matches the run game. Right. Like there's certain teams that like, okay, we always say, hey, bird, bird, bird. Bird was a signal that it was a pass. Rabbit, rabbit, rabbit was a signal that we would say that would mean that it was a run. There is no bird rabbit calls when you're playing the Baltimore Ravens because everything looks the same. Now, you may get into some obvious passing situations on third down of sorts, but like first and second down or third and short, third and medium, like you can't get a beat on it. So you just, I just watched, you know, Fred Warner have to just play it straight up, and I thought he did a, a phenomenal job.
0: Yeah, and it's so hard, especially when you're doing stuff like scrape exchanges on the backside, and then all of a sudden you have to worry about Mark Andrews getting behind you deep. Yes, that that's hard to do, and you know, you're you're a linebacker, you know, that's, that's extremely tough, difficult to do. And I, I agree, Warner has to be in a Pro Bowl this year because to to me he is at least a top three coverage linebacker. Yes, like, he is the way he could play man to man and drop into zones and he just has a really uncanny ability to um to read route combinations and drop right into where uh the the offense wants to attack so yeah i agree Warner Warner deserves to be a pro bowler this year
1: yeah so the game of the uh, of the year i guess uh, so far we should say uh definitely lived up to the hype but the sunday night game of week 13 was one that I think a lot of people really just looked at it and said, oh, it's the Patriots. It's a Bill Belichick uh, disciple and Bill O'Brien coaching the Houston Texans. And that, you know, the Patriots off, I mean, Patriots defense is going to bottle up, you know, Deshaun Watson. You know, I think it hasn't always been perfect this year, but you know they've come into work every 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 week in this room and they've focused and we've had you know decent practices and I thought that, that that's what happened you know this week we practiced hard this week they put a lot out there they put preparation in and they, they you know it paid off for them and I think that it was a good team win and it, it keeps us in the hunt. But I think I was talking to you about this last week and about this Patriots um, Texans matchup. Was that remember the first start for um not first start, but it was the start in which Deshaun Watson had three seasons ago, remember his rookie year, that he was balling, man. He was out there balling against the Patriots. And that was the one game that I said really put him into I think everybody's, you know, NFL mind or like the the like this dude is this dude can play. And I think that that showcase for me gave him a ton of confidence because when you watch Sunday night's matchup, um, as good as that Patriots defense was, they still played well. But Lamar, I mean Deshaun Watson, to me is just um, he's different, man. I'm just trying to figure. He's got this um, this smooth ability to just run the offense, right? It just never seems to be frustrated. I, I his demeanor is something that I'm like that I, I I feed off of that, just watching it. Like this dude is just confident. He's not cocky by no means. He's confident and you can see that when he throws a football and look, some of his guys make some outstanding plays, I'll be honest. But I think he has the confidence that he can get the ball out there and those guys can take over. What What did you see for the most part throughout that game? And is the pay or and my last question would be is, are the Patriots done? Cause that's, what's been the, the around the news cycle over the last couple of days. Oh, the Patriots are done. They, they just can't do it.
0: No, I, I, I think I agree with your take that Deshaun Watson is extremely poised. I mean, I mean, Look at what happened with Sam Darnold and what the Patriots defense did to him. Like they had him see ghosts, right? <laughs> but, but you see I but forgot. you see what? God, this season's see, been so long. I forgot about he was seeing ghosts. But yes, go ahead. But then you, and then you see a guy like Deshaun Watson face the same type of pass rush and he's so poised and he's able to find his hot receivers. He he's able to get away from the pressure and make plays with his legs and outside the pocket. Uh, so yeah I mean his poise is unreal I mean from you, you we saw it when he's playing at Clemson and you, you saw it from the the day he hit the field as a rookie uh Watson has just unreal poise and just uh just able able the way he's able to see the game and make it slow down for himself is is something special and, and that's one of the reasons why he's in this MVP race that uh you know obviously the Lamar Jackson's the, the top guy but he if you know, if you were able to look at who's second and third, I, I think uh, Deshaun Watson's a guy that you have to mention up there, and, and and the way that the Texans are able to play when they have Will Fuller in the lineup, is just so different because because they they need a number two, and uh, obviously Hopkins is a number one, and teams are going to take that away, and when they're doubling him, Will Fuller is extremely tough to match up against man to man. To me, Will Fuller is like Deshaun Jackson, except for you know he has trouble catching the ball, but as far as skill and speed and uh, ability to get away from man coverage, he, he's very similar to Deshaun. I think.
1: No, 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 no. I I I know who you're talking about. He's he's tech in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's tagging mm-hmm. because Deshaun can catch. Right. We we know yeah. Deshaun gets down. And he's going to catch, and all of a sudden you're like, wow. I think Deshaun leads the NFL. Uh, I think in history, like plays of over 50 yards or more or something like that. I saw one time, but I think that he is Ted Ginn. That's why Ted Ginn is, will always have a job in the NFL because he can still get behind defenses and it's the threat. Now, the only thing is like you mentioned, it's 50, 50, <laughs> will he catch it or not? But there is no question he can get behind a defense. And I think that's a, a better comp was for Will Ford. I mean, for Will
0: Fuller is uh, Ted Ginn. Yeah. I, yep. I think that's a better comp for sure. And, also the Texans ran some of that stuff that you know the, the Ravens ran is that with the option and diamond formation mm-hmm. and, and that kind of deal so um, the Texans offense is pretty it's like a, the kryptonite for what the Patriots want to do because they the Correct. Patriots want to yeah. play a lot of man-to-man but they but the Texans have guys that can beat man-to-man with Fuller and and Hopkins and they they, they want to blitz a lot but Watson doesn't get phased by the blitz he's he's able to uh, stand in pocket find his hot receivers and get away when he needs to um and defensively they did a good job against Tom Brady because they took away Edelman and they they forced other guys to try to beat uh beat them and they couldn't do it like Nikhil Harry their their Mm -hmm. vaunted uh top pick when they try to throw throw to him in a slant he couldn't get away from press coverage, and uh, he got picked on that. Uh, he got picked on that play, and after that play, he didn't get much playing time, if any playing time. And yeah, he um, only had
1: that was his only target of the game.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and Sanu, he's still kind of getting acclimated into that offense, and he had that big drop. And you could argue that he was interfered with on um, that drop. I think it was, I think it was a fourth down drop. So that that was a big play in the game too. Uh so right yeah right now I don't think the Patriots are done because that defense is so good but offensively they they have some things to figure out and I think th- they will get better at running the ball with Isaiah Wynn and they'll get better at protecting um, but they they need a weapon to step up, and I, I I don't know who that weapon is. I don't know if Sanu is going to be that guy. I don't know if Harry is going to be that guy. But they they need a guy to step up opposite of Edelman.
1: Well, I think we we know that one guy will not be Rob Gronkowski. Um, the deadline passed this uh, past week. Week thirteen was uh, actually the, the 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 time for him to actually have to uh, to to say, Hey, I'm playing or not playing, and so. That that was the one thing that people in the NFL were looking at, and he will not be returning to the New England Patriots. So, but that being said, though, Ted, they do have to find another offensive weapon. They do, and I don't know if it's going to be uh, them trying to figure out Antonio is Antonio Brown available is also a you know because there the trade deadline is over, so it's almost like this is what they have. So you got to kind of almost. Grow with what you got. Now, my thing is right now the Baltimore Ravens are in the number one seed in the AFC, right? Because they hold the, the tiebreaker over the, the uh, over the New England Patriots. And now New England would have to go on the road if things stayed the way they are, Ted, which they never hardly do right now. But if they do, you know, if, if it does stay the way it is, now you would have New England having to go to Baltimore on the road and win. And they don't have Rob Gronkowski now. Like you said, like I said, they don't have that big-time receiver. So I'm, I'm kind of watching that. But then I think the last thing I would say for uh, what I saw in this game is a guy who I love watching. And he was my rookie. Can you believe this? Stefan Gilmore was my rookie in Buffalo. And I remember watching him, and we just talked all the time. Because he was just a sponge, man. Like, there are certain dudes that are just different in the league. Like, when they come in and he came in, you know, a highly touted kid out of South Carolina, cornerback, and struggled a little bit in the beginning uh, like normal guys do. But his temperament, he is just the – first of all, he's a nonverbal guy. He doesn't talk at all. Like, literally. Like, just doesn't talk. He's kind of like Kawhi but he's different. He does have personality, but you got to, you know, open up to him. You talk to him a little bit off the field. But once, you know, you're in his circle, he'll love to talk to you sit down and we just do to talk about football and to watch him throughout, you know, just this season. He's the best corner in the NFL and again, he's matched up with DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins does, does not score a touchdown. See, receivers can have catches. They just can't have touchdowns. And that's what I think week in and week out, Stefan Gilmore gives him. And I think what's really happened in that situation, though, Ted, was that it was the other players who got going. Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, those guys are what's really going to hurt the Patriots. If you can get your 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 number two and three guys to be the guy, that's the only way I think that you beat the Patriots defensively because their run defense is is stout. I mean they 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 they, they they're always in their gaps. They're going to be sound and strong. But if there's one thing, like you mentioned, when in terms of trying to beat the Patriots defensively, like the Texans did, it's going to have to be beating the man-to-man coverage. But your number three is going to have to be their number three, and I think that's going to be the matchup.
0: Yeah, I, Darren Fells had some good some uh, their tight end, the Houston Texans tied in Darren Fells. He had some. Uh, Some critical catches in that game, and uh, Duke Johnson, the the running back, had had a touchdown. So those are the matchups that you have to win if you you want to beat the Patriots. And uh, with Fuller in the lineup, those guys get less attention, and they did a good job, and they won. Uh, And last point about this game is the the Patriots are so good at drafting wide receiver, uh, drafting other positions, but they they struggle drafting wide receivers. And I'm not saying Harry's a bust. But, you know, when you look around the league and there's guys that the the Patriots had opportunity to draft like Debo Samuel, uh, McLaurin, DK Metcalf. I mean, if those guys were on the Patriots, they they would be a significantly better team right now. So uh, just kind of interesting that the Patriots are so good at drafting every other position, but uh, wide receiver they, they seem to struggle with.
1: Yeah, I think that's the one thing. uh, Were they guys who would probably fit in the Patriot way, though? Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) it's a very difficult offense to learn. (laughs) Right, but even still, though, like – are they like Patriots, right? You know, there's a certain kind of player the Patriots go after, right? I don't know if that guy, uh, those guys really fit into the Patriot way. You know, a lot of guys, not saying that they're showmen or, hey, look at me, but the Patriots usually draft guys who are kind of under the radar, kind of quiet guys. But all in all, man, definitely a good game. And it is just really quickly. uh, Last game of week 13, Monday Night Football. Um, Obviously, we saw it. It was Seattle, uh, Minnesota. Kirk Cousins now 0 8. I feel so bad for Kirk Cousins. He just cannot win a Monday night football game. Eight chances, eight losses as a starter. But for the most part, uh, a very good game. Minnesota losing does not change my mind about them. I think they're going to be a tough out. Now, do they win the division or not? That's going to be left to be said. They know they have games left against, uh, I know they play the uh, Packers, and I think it's next week or two weeks. But just watching Seattle, are, are they the best team in the NFC right now, Ted?
0: Now, I think I think the Niners still are to me. I think they've they've proven that they can compete with the top guys in the league. To to me, I think the Niners are, are the team to beat right now in the NFC. Even even with the Niners right now sitting in the wild card
1: position and not at the top of their division,
0: are they? Are they? They're not. Aren't they not the top of the division right now with the loss? No, with the wow. loss, remember? Because the head to head, yeah. Seattle <laughs> that, yeah, is now yeah.
1: overtaken. Basically, if the Niners went out then they should, they'll be fine. If Seattle wins out, then Seattle uh, will have beaten the 49ers twice. There's a lot that I've looked into that we can go into uh, next week. But right now, they are similar records. Both of them sit right there um, at 10-2 and two, um, currently. And that's the funny part, though, is that they both have the same division record. They both have the same conference record. So it's kind of funny uh, the way it's kind of happening in terms of uh, – Well, I'm sorry, the 49ers don't have a division loss yet, but it's the way that it's kind of – well, they do have one division loss. I'm sorry. It's Seattle who doesn't have a division loss. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, let's move on, though. We got a couple games we got to preview for week 14, though, Ted. And I think when you uh, think about week 14 now, uh, four games left, you kind of know what's what's in front. But one of the teams that I'm looking at right here in our preview section now is 49ers Saints this week. When you watch them on tape – Uh, They're talented at every level. They got playmakers. They got guys who can really change the game at just about every position. So, for us, we're going to have to be on it. We're going to have to be on our P's and Q's and and not allow dumb things and foolish things and mistakes and errors and penalties and different things like that to kind of – no realist back. Because this was like the the, the gauntlet for the 49ers. They had one of the toughest three-game stretches in NFL history in terms of teams' winning percentage, right? It started with the Green Bay Packers. They slayed that dragon. Then it was the next one. Week two, I mean, well, then the next week was obviously the Baltimore Ravens did not win that one. But now they have to go on the road. And this is the one that a lot of people are saying, okay, if the 49ers lose this one, they're sitting now at 10 and three I've always said they'll be 12 and four this year uh throughout the season I've been big on that I've been on San Francisco radio telling people they're gonna be 12 and four 12 and four and after 13 and three that's great but it's just the way that they right now they're hitting some key injuries again at the wrong time Richard Sherman who's played at a pro Bowl level um, he may be out this week. Um, I think just Kwaski Tart. I forget, he may be a little bit banged up. And you're going against Drew Brees and this New Orleans Saints offense that's just been rolling. And if they don't have Richard Sherman, Ted, in the, in the preview of this game, 49ers Saints, if they don't have Richard Sherman to at least shadow or do something with Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas may have 30 catches. <laughs> and I'm not even joking because the dude is bad. He's one of the best receivers in the league, and I think – I don't know if the 49ers have a corner who can stand up to what he's what he's capable of doing.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think they have a guy that could play him one on one, but I, I think that they can double him and take chances on the other guys that are in the Saints because they don't really have other than Michael Thomas, Jared Cook. You know, might be the number two guy. Uh, Ginn is still there, but they, I mean, they just don't. I, I think the Niners can double Thomas and take chances on the, the rest of the. The Saints' receivers. Um, obviously, you got to worry about Kamara in the passing game, uh, but they just had, don't have a guy that, ha- that has proven to uh, be able to beat one-on-one coverage consistently. And I think Witherspoon, is, you know, coming back from the injury, is starting to look good. Uh, Mosley, the other corner that has, that was playing a Witherspoon spot, um, he he's pretty he's he's looked pretty good too. Uh, so I, I think the Niners can double Thomas and. Uh, just take chances one on one with the other guys. Yeah, uh,
1: Traquan Smith is like, I think he's the other guy. I think this yeah the other run out there,
0: but he's not it's, very it's, consistent. No. Um, uh, and and the the Saints, the one weakness they they have, I, I don't think they're very, super very good against a run. Um, uh, mm-hmm. so I, I think the Niners will be able to run the ball on them. I think on paper the Niners could win this game, but I, I don't know yes. how they're going to perform with the injuries. And, you know, after an emotional game, like they played in Baltimore, it's going to be difficult to be, to go on the road against uh, New Orleans. But I think on paper, the Niners had a better team. So I would, I, 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 I think I'll take the Niners in this game. Uh, but I do worry about worry about the injuries and the the toll of playing a difficult game in Baltimore and then having to, to go on the road uh, to New Orleans. So, on paper, I think the Niners, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll take the Niners. I'll take the Niners. Man, I, I'm thinking the Niners, uh, um,
1: this is going to be a tough one because I'm trying to figure out in, in my head, Ted, that, like, for them to go on the road in New Orleans now. Now, look, Baltimore is, is a tough place to play. Don't get me wrong. But now going into the Dome in New Orleans, and New Orleans right now currently the number one seed in the NFC, and how loud that place is and how it will be like a playoff atmosphere. Um, the one thing that I said, and I, I'm going back to last year, and just going off my experience in covering the Los Angeles Rams, is that last year was a big game. Remember Rams and Saints, they go in there, and it was just so loud. And it's just for that moment – I thought that New Orleans has just been built for that moment. They've been tested, right? They've played in the big games and the big moments like this. And now the 49ers, this is kind of Jimmy Garoppolo's coming out party this year because all the games actually mean something now. Like before it was like Jimmy going against this team and a couple years ago and even last year you didn't really know Then this year they've been winning games. But now we get to December, and now we are going to critique more than we ever have, Ted, of any game. So I think now this is the big thing for me is that what kind of offense will we see from the 49ers and how will they handle being in that crowd and that noise? Because the one thing about their the 49ers defense, Drew Brees doesn't get sacked. So, and I'm not trying to throw shots at anybody, but hello, Nick Bosa, have you picked up a courtesy phone? Because he, he was hot and that boy is cold right now. <laughs> he is ice cold. Because I think teams are starting to see what, Ted, they are getting rid of the football quickly now. They're like, we are not about to sit back in this pocket and allow this 49ers rush to get there. Maybe a long down in distances, but for the most part, if we can get it out quickly, that's the only way that we're going to beat them. That's what Drew Brees, I think, is going to do. They'll take their shots. They'll do some things, you know, to to, uh, try to push the ball down the field a lot more. I don't think they they can execute all the way down four- or five-yard gains, but – I think it's getting the ball out quickly if you're the Saints. And then for the 49ers, I think they, they kind of utilize that run game like you mentioned. Like you, you need another game like you got from Mostert last week, right? That was huge for them, um, the way they ran the football against the Ravens. That's really, I thought, what kept that game really so close was that the 49ers were able to possess the ball for a lot, and they got some big runs. If they can do that again, that's what's going to quiet the crowd. But I'm telling you, it's going to be the environment that maybe what cost the 49ers this football game. So that's why I got to go with the Saints on this one.
0: Yeah, I think the Niners are going to be pretty aggressive and play and dare Drew Brees to beat him deep. Um, and, and I think that offensive line is a little banged up right now. So I think the rush will be able to pressure Brees. Um, but I agree. I, I think the environment and just the fact that they played in Baltimore the week before will be factors. But I just think that, this game matches up well for for the Niners. So, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a good game. <laughs> I know. I know.
1: That That's all we care about, right? We just want to see a good game because I think it's another test to see where the 49 ers are. And I think that that's going to be one that, um, you know, will definitely give us a better picture of the NFC. Now, this one, the next game that we're going to preview, and excuse me, Ted, for one second. I just love doing this one. But Flexa. FLIX. Uh, now it's another part that comes on after that. I don't want to say on the podcast, but uh the <laughs> uh, Time to have all right, but anyway, I'm springing that up because this was not supposed to be the nightcap. This was supposed to be an early game.
0: We unfold the game plan, you ask the guys to do things and there's they don't flinch. Um whatever you need me to do, coach, that's what that's kind of the response we get and and that's refreshing. It's it's a it's a team put together that guys that care about one another. Uh, they're willing to work hard. Uh, listen, we're not where we need to be yet.
1: Buffalo taking on Baltimore, and all of a sudden the Chargers lose. Literally, Ted. As soon as the Chargers, and that's another ugly loss that we forgot to go over because it just it was just the Chargers charging right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was basically Chargers tied the game, tie the game up. Then Denver gets the ball back. Drew Locke just throws a deep pass. Chargers get called for pass interference. Brandon McManus comes out, kicks a field goal, and the Chargers lose. Well, once that field goal went through, the NFL got on the phone and said, We are not putting these Chargers on national TV. So they said, "Uh -uh." Thank God. They take the Chargers off national TV. And actually, we get a matchup that I really want to see. The Buffalo Bills taking on the Baltimore Ravens. And I think if you probably looked at this game in the beginning of the year, you're like, uh, okay, that's just a game. But now this game takes on a little bit more precedence now because uh, I really believe that th- this is an underrated team in Buffalo that if anybody has a shot right now, I think that Buffalo's defensively, they've got some weapons and some things that could probably slow Lamar Jackson down. I, I like what Sean McDermott has built. And he's got some fast-flow linebackers. He's got some corners and some safeties that are downhill. You, you, you watch him play, for people who watched him on last Thursday against the Dallas Cowboys, this is a good defensive team. I love Ed Oliver, the rookie up front. He's starting to play well, had a couple sacks last week. And so I think this this team, the the, the uh, Buffalo Bills, they want this to be a bar fight. They're, they don't want this to be, be a shootout. They want it to be a bar fight. Even their even quarterback, Josh Allen, not saying he has a, uh, the same skill set, but he does some things similar to Lamar Jackson. He can prolong or he can, you know, extend the pocket a little bit, extend the play a little bit, make some throws, make some time, you know, buy some time and make some plays. So this is going to be one of the fun, interesting matchups, and I'm so glad they put this on Sunday night, Ted. And even though i do have the baltimore ravens winning i would not be shocked if the buffalo bills won this football game because they they play games in which they win ugly too like they're not afraid to lose ugly they they're not like oh we we won with style points no they're not kansas city they they want to win ugly and i think that takes from their that comes from their head coach
0: yeah, yeah pe- people have to stop underestimating the bills they're, they're a good team uh but Look, if the Bills cannot stop this Ravens offense, I don't know if anybody could stop this. Uh, this <laughs> That's Ravens offense. Very true. Yep, they, they're, right. they're stout. The Bills are good against the run, and they have corners that are able to handle um, outside guys and stay on islands, so the safeties could kind of uh, focus on their assignment football. Uh, so you know, we the, the Ravens they are able to beat the 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 Patriots defense pretty well. They were effective against the Niners. And if they have another big game against the Bills, I, I just really don't know if anybody in the league could stop that Ravens uh, offense. Um, and on the other side of the ball, Josh Allen, he was pretty bad against the Blitz as a rookie. He's a little bit better this year. Uh, they've been able to nullify the Blitz a little bit with no huddle. Uh, but we know your guy, Martindale, loves to Blitz in Baltimore. So <laughs> yeah, he it, it's it's going to be a difficult game for Josh <laughs> Allen. So I got the Ravens winning this one. Uh, but we'll see how it's really going to be up to that Bills defense to, to try to contain Lamar. And, and if they cannot do it, I don't know anybody in the league that will be able to contain uh, this option attack. For more exclusive NFL content, including players to watch, go to theathletic.com slash run the film for a free seven-day trial and 40% off subscription.